This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And Purim is considered the holiest of all the times, but not for its sanctity. It's, it's considered holiest for its uh, more on a Kabbalistic level of understanding what it's about. Um, what I mean by that is you may have on Yom Kippur, you might have a more holy experience. And uh, Rosh Hashanah, you might have a holy experience. The, the Purim experience is a, is a wild and crazy experience. And it's, um, it's a frenetic like, day of insanity and bizarre occurrences and stuff happening that you never would have imagined. I Meaning there's only so much you can prepare when it comes to Purim for what's going to be coming because stuff happens on Purim. A lot of stuff happens on Purim. And there's no way to really do much about it except have the cleanest energy possible so you don't have too much hit you during the day. You know, you don't want, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to get beaten up or anything, you know. Because if you're meant to be beaten up, you'll be beaten up. I'm not talking to the girls here. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, you know, it's really a crazy day. The only thing the girls have to watch out for is drunk men. And you got to be careful on the because anything can happen. And it's even considered a day that's, in Jewish law, it's considered a day that's totally, uh, you know, beyond all regular rules. It's just beyond the regular. So, for example, if you, uh, Jonathan, if you came to my house and got drunk and belligerent and wound up, like, trashing the place, would you be liable, according to Jewish law, in general? Yeah. Of course. Uh, what if you came to my house on Purim and got drunk and belligerent and started trashing my house? You're going to have to say no. Right. You, you have no legal obligation. So that is definitely a day to watch out. <laughs> because even Jewish law absolves someone of, uh, of culpability on such a day. Now, obviously for the men, we have to realize that it's a super holy day and you want to be super holy. You're not there to trash someone's house. But stuff happens. And crazy things always occur. I always know in advance to remove the glass doors from the vitrina in my dining room so they don't get smashed in by, you know, just drunkards falling into it, you know, when they're dancing and stuff. Every once in a while, some guy, like, tackles another guy. They just are landing in random places and might be into my glass vitrina. So we we remove the doors off that. Anyway, it's called uh, it's called uh, Purim, and and we know there's a play on words for the day Yom Kippur. That our rabbis teach us that the word Yom HaKippurim is the day Kippurim. What's Kippurim mean? Kippurim, like Purim. Kippurim. It's a day like Purim. And that doesn't make any sense because it's not like Purim at all. These days don't seem to have anything in common. And what it's really saying is that what you can achieve out of sanctity on Yom Kippur, you can achieve out of out of just wild partying, can be achieved on Purim. And it is a bit of a truth serum, you know. When they say when the wine goes in, the secrets come out, and that's more about the party later when we party hardy and during the party. That the, when the wine goes in, the secrets come out. 
that both means when we read Megillah Dester that the secret, what's the secret of Megillah Dester is that <coughs> God was behind the whole story. Meaning everything you've been going through, Miriam, your whole life, everything you go through it is all part of a story. And God's the one behind that story. And so whatever you're dealing with in your life is all part of this amazing plan. It's just that you don't see the plan. Just like the Jews, you know, the Jews in Shushan who were went into this whole mourning period over their fate and this teshuva period and this fasting and, and prayer and penitence and sackcloth and all that stuff is, you know, it's only because they didn't see the story. They didn't realize. I mean, they, they probably would have done it anyway, but, but they didn't know they were going to make it. And we're all inside our story. We don't know if we're going to make it. We don't know if we're going to make it to a marriage. We don't know if we're going to make it through marriage. You know, we, don't, we don't know if we're going to make it financially. We don't know if we're going to be on welfare. You know, we, don't, we know nothing. You know literally nothing. Nothing. And, and some of you are like a pretty good catch. Like this young man's quite a catch. I'm sure he'll support and take care of a woman very well. But you don't know. And she won't know. And everything looks good on paper. How many of us have seen things that look good on paper and they just tanked? And how many times have we been in a situation where we didn't, where someone didn't look good on paper? Like, for example, me, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, a nuthead surfer from California. Who, like, you know, you wouldn't have trusted me to buck, lend me a dollar. And you know, who would have, who would have known? So they, they, <laughs> it's crazy. My wife even married me. <laughs> what was she thinking? But they, I guess they say love is blind. You know, and, and uh, she, that's just the way it is. And you know, when it's right, it's right. And, and lo and behold, like I, I popped out later, much later. And, and so it's so again, we have no idea in our story. We don't know what's going on in our story. We never get you know. There's nothing you can click on that like a little bubble pops up and shows you what's really going on. We don't get that experience. And that's where Amuna comes in. And Amuna is the knowledge that it's all part of a plan, that there's a king who's running the show. This is all this mad, crazy story that is part, that has a director and has a, an orchestrator. There, there, is, there is a conductor to this concert we're in. And, and the truth is the, the conductor, the king, is really what you call a personal transformation seminar leader. Any of you have gone to a personal transformation seminar? Yeah, so I lead one for the last 16 years. We're a, we're a, a unique breed of really hardcore people who push you to the end, to the point where like you think you're gonna die, you know? And and the, and I my, my seminar, some people get pushed more than others depending on how they come into it. I Meaning, if they come in having a background in being pushed hard, they don't feel it that hard. But people who don't have a background in that are like, "Oh, what am I gonna do?" And, and the so we are being who's running your story? Who's running your story is one of the best seminar is the best seminar leader in the world. Because what's my job as a seminar leader? My job is to simulate struggle. I have to create a simulation of struggle for for you to get to your finest. For you to get to your the real goods, like the stuff you're really made of, I gotta get, I gotta get, put you through stuff, and you're under my spell for those six days, and I'm, I'm gonna take you deep, deep, deep. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna be painful. It's gonna be a lot of tears, and but I'm simulating it, 
you're, but you're in a simulation right now also. You think God does time? God doesn't do time. God creates only now. That's all God's ever created is now. He's never created past. He's never created future. He only creates now. It's just from a human perspective, what does a thousand nows look like? What do we call that? That's called time. God doesn't do time. You're in God's seminar, and he's adjusting the knobs. He's like back there, like, you ever been to a, like a studio where there's a lot of knobs and, you know, levels that they can switch up and down, and knobs everywhere. While you're walking around the old city, God's just like, you know, we're going to have the, we're going to have a little, uh, you know, one of those little golf carts, the new delivery guys in the old city. He's going to come flying around the corner, so God's just like, Flips that thing flying, sorry, doesn't flip it, swings that thing around the corner. You're like, whoa, bumping into somebody over there. God's like, and then you're like, sorry about that. And they're like, don't I know you? (laughs) No, you don't know me. I think I know you. Like, that's an old line. We don't know each other. He says, no, no, we met. And God's just like, jogging the memory now. Because where do you get thoughts from? Who do you think thoughts come out of nowhere? God starts like, oops, jog the memory button. Bam, jog the memory. Give more context. So now the person's like, let me give you the context. We were at this, you know, place. It was late at night. It was in the old city on a rooftop. There was lava Malka there. You know, and he keeps on like, jog memory, jog memory, jog memory, jog memory, jog memory. The, from the other person, then the other person, and he's going, memory, 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 memory. And, and you're just like, oh, yeah, you're right. We do know each other. We know each other. And meanwhile, God's doing all this. We're inside this story. That's why Purim is so holy that it's your holiday. It's not. All the other holidays are general holidays. You know, chauffeur blasts are not about the chauffeur blower nor the listener. It's I'm Israel's chauffeur of this year. If you're in that synagogue, so you're you're that portion portion of the people listening. But Purim is our story. And that's why your story will come to a head on Purim. You'll see that the seminar leader is going to push you hard on Purim. We all get pushed hard. Raise your hand if you experienced Purim before. Anyone ever had a real halachic like full-on Purim? And keep your hand up if you've ever been pushed hard on Purim to have to deal with stuff. <laughs> the same people, basically. It, it's just the way it goes. The, the seminar leader of Purim... He plays, he plays hardball on Purim. I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff happen on Purim. And only on Purim. Nothing like that the day before, nothing like that the day after, nothing like that the other 364 days of the year. Comes Purim. It's almost like... That's just the hidden, so... Everything gets revealed on Purim. So, it's not really like Yom Kippur, but... Holier than Yom Kippur. You see, Yom Kippur is about serving God through what you could call um, respect. Whereas um, Purim would be intimacy. So this is Yom Kippur, and this is Purim. So Yom Kippur is serving God through reverence. And Purim is serving God through intimacy, through you know, a real close connection. And that's, that's the nature of relationships anyway. I mean, think of any relationship you've ever had that 
that was worth having. It started with respect, and then it went to intimacy. Meaning, uh, meaning when I first met Arya, for example, you know, it was just gaining respect for each other, finding out more about each other, etc., etc. And then later we got to connect much deeper after. But only because there was first that respect. Had I, you know, as a seminar leader, can you imagine that I could just read someone's face, body language, uh, eye movements, posture, and then just go right? That would be our last interaction. It would avoid me forever after that. And on the, on the contrary, I create space for respect, mutual respect, reverence for one another. And then, uh, and then when they came to me to say, hey, can you help me get through something? So then I would, I would say, well, first of all, your, your head goes to this side, this left shoulder's down, this right shoulder's up, so, and, you, and you lean as well. And they're like, what? And then I grab their head and I'm like, and I touch their shoulders and I'm like, and then I pull their whole, I push their hip a little just to get them back straight again. And I'm like, this is called standing. Welcome to the new world. And as we speak, they're back to that while they're listening because they're really getting into listening. So they went right back to to the way their body has learned to protect itself. But of course, it's you know murderous for for the body to, to be standing in such a way. Now, anyway, respect and then intimacy. That's the order of events. Yo Kipper, respect, reverence of the king. Intimacy with the king is poor. It's when you party with the, with the king. Now, those of you who didn't have a real good Yom Kippur this year, and you never really got to the, the reverence part. So, and uh, uh, everything we're doing, like this is not the, these three days are not the days to, to, for people who miss Yom Kippur, these are not the days to be heading to town to rock out. You can rock out on porn, but you got to earn the connection to God through reverence if you want to have the intimacy of Purim. And you can obviously, part of that, so what I was saying before, what I was saying before is that the, when the wine goes in, the secrets come out. The secret is that God's been running the show. He's the one with the knobs and the levels and stuff. But the other secret that comes out is on Purim, you find out where you're really holding with God, where you're really at. And see, the, the wine is either going to make you more and more connected or the wine is going to make you more, more of a drunk idiot. You get that? There's a large amount of drunk idiots on the And so that's the secret. Now, by the way, it's not to condemn the guy. Let him have a fun time on Purim. Like, I mean, we're not here to judge anybody. If, a, if that's this guy's Purim, you know, let him have that Purim. Like, everyone's everyone's going to get exactly what they're going to get this year. No one will have missed one iota of the perfect Purim. Purim comes out perfect for every individual, every year. There's no, I understand Yom Kippur can be a plus or a minus each year. can have a better or the worse. You can have a better or worse Rosh Hashanah. You can have a better or worse Sukkot. There's no such thing on Purim as a better or worse Purim. Whatever you get on Purim is your Purim. That's your Purim this year. And you must accept it. And I remember last, last year, one of my older teenage daughters the, the, one of the age guys, or some, I don't know who the guy was actually, the, some guy set up a, the benches in the, in the women's section, and he forgot to like lock it into place. And there were a bunch of women sitting on the bench, 
and then, but except my teenage daughter at our party had her leg, you know, kind of under the bench while she was sitting on it. And after enough rock, jiggling and rocking on that bench, it finally gave, and everyone landed on the ground. The only thing blocking was my daughter's shin, you know, her calf muscle. That was her program. That was her program, and she accepted it. You have to, you have to accept your program. It's not only is it your poem, it's accepting it as your poem. Whatever happens on poem, you accept it totally. Just let it be your poem. And, uh, but what gets revealed is when the wine goes in, the secrets come out. That's why the, the word wine is spelled yud and yud and then nun. And that is the same numerical value as. Seventy, right? Fifty plus ten plus ten equals seventy, and that's the same numerical value as the word "sod," which is sixty plus six plus four is seventy. So the word for wine and the word for secrets are the same word. When the wine goes in, the secrets come out, and the What's the secret in the Megillah? The secret is God's running the show. The secret when you have wine in you is you find out about yourself. We find out what's in there. Is it a drunken idiot? Or is it a, 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 a person who cleaves to God? We're saying uh, that when the wine goes in, the secrets come out. Wine is yayin, which equals 70, and secrets equals 70. Do you know that? I didn't know the secrets equal 70, but definitely, yeah. Yeah, so they both equal 70. When the wine goes in, the secrets come out. On Purim, the secret will either be that you're a drunken idiot or that you're holiest heaven, like you're the holiest. And and you don't have to, you can't fake it. (laughs) Once you've been, once you had a couple bottles of wine, uh, you know, in you, you know, one or the other is going to be coming out. So, So that's... We find out if you're Haman or you're Mordecai, which is, and it's no big deal to be, if you're some crazy knucklehead, you know, just parting your brains out, that's your poor, and now you know, now you know, and now we know, <laughs> we all find out who you are on poor, and then, and, and that's cool, because, you know, better luck next year, you know, next year, you might have a Purim where you're just crying the entire time before God. You're like literally crying at the base of the of the throne of glory for hours. And that's where you're living. Like you're just at the throne of glory, just crying your eyes out before God, trembling before God. And it could be, that's next year. It could be this year you're praying to the porcelain God at the toilet. Whatever it will be, it will be your what? Purim. That will be your Purim. There's no mistakes on Purim. Everybody gets what they're supposed to get. And the... The next is the tzedakah. We have a mitzvah of tzedakah. It's got tremendous detail involved, like every other law in Judaism has a million details. Anyone know the highest form of tzedakah? Yes, Miriam. 
getting someone a job or learn to teach them a trade or something. Yeah, it's, it's better than giving someone a fish is to what? Teach them, teach teach them how to fish. So that's the highest form of tzedakah. And, and then like regular, the way we know tzedakah is uh, when someone you know, puts out their hand is to put a coin in their hand. Now, of course, we're like the cheapest people in the world, myself included, uh, for the people who put out their hand. We're like total cheapskates. Like, we pat ourselves on the back for giving them 50 agaro. You know, that big half-shackle coin? <laughs> How much is that in dollars? We're lucky he doesn't just beat us with it. <laughs> when he hands it, sometimes they do it. When you hand it to him, you should run. And he's just like, he's like, you, you cheap bastard. He's like, but we're all like we'll hand him our we'll hand him our ten cents and like we, we walk away from there just like <laughs> ball seducker. <laughs> so so I mean we should probably be more careful to give shekel instead of half shekel. How much is a shekel? Thirty five cents. Can you imagine handing someone thirty five cents in a in like Brooklyn at a shul. Like, oh, let me pull out. Normally in Israel I give a shekel, so here's 35 cents. <laughs> Good luck. That's luck. You never had anyone 35 cents. You know? But a shekel is like, we're already like, we're tzaddikim if we give him a shekel. And we, we see the whole tzaddikah guy as a toll booth, basically. Like, somehow we, we got to get through this little toll booth here. So, like, break out the lowest denomination and get through. Anyway, we should, we should all pump it up. And the truth is, is probably most of us probably could get five shekels a pop. You know, get it up to a buck twenty-five. You know, I'd, I don't give any less than a buck when I'm in America. In shul, I just have, I get a bunch of bucks, dollar bills, put them inside my tefillin case, you know, under, I have an under pocket. And I'm just like, buck, 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 buck. Cost a couple bucks to nominate. Baruch Hashem, they come to us. Otherwise, we'd have to chase them. And we got drive-through mitzvahs. You know, they just, they just come right up. Get out the buck. You ever seen them walking around the shore with their water bucks? <laughs> These big, fat water bucks. The coattail, they, they wander around with, like, thousands of shekels. Like, have you seen those guys? They're big wads. They're, they're carrying more money than you ever carried in your life. Thousands of no, no, they're carrying thousands of shekels. Why do they do it? Why do they hold one hand thousand? I mean, 20, 30,000 shekels in one hand, a big wad of 200s. And, and then the other hand, they're begging. What are they letting you know? They don't, yeah, they don't need you. It's not for them. This has nothing to do with anything they're doing. They're just they're, they're taking care of families, and they know Westerners come to the, to the wall. And they're making it really clear that I'm not, a, I'm not fooling around here. This is serious. And I'm the real deal. And whereas, whereas anyone else coming up for a change? You know, it could be for anything. But he's letting you know, this is not for me. I'm taking some time out of my schedule to, to collect for families. They don't even really say it. They're not saying, They're making it clear that they're, this is not for them. Because they're carrying more money than anyone at the Kotel's carried in, in months. Now, whenever you give tzedakah, are you allowed to find out if it's, it's a real case or he's a charlatan? Yeah. 
Are you allowed to you find, have to out? find out? Are you allowed to find out? You have to? That's what I've heard. Right. So the truth is you you have to for real amounts of money. It's certainly not the half shekels. Shekel is up to five. Probably you don't have to really find out why. Because that's not really your 10% anyway. You're not really giving your 10%. No, to give your 10%, percent you got to make sure that's the real deal. So you have to find out this guy's for real. But when it comes to the to the toll booth type guys, where it's just a shekel, a half shekel, or five, or whatever, or two, those guys... What are you going to do? Ask them. Like, interview them? Like, no, who has time for that? Just, and, that and by the way, if, if you are afraid the guy's a charlatan, you don't know 100% that he's really a... a, a you know a, you know the word charlatan? I try not to use three-syllable words in essentials. No, not for people over 25. The, uh, anyway. The con artist. The con artist. If he's a con artist, that's what the half shekels are for. Because let's say you're 95% sure he's a con artist. Should you give him a half shekel? For sure. Give him your half shekel. Why? On the 5% chance he's not. Why? Because why? Just skip him. Skip the guy if you're 95% sure the guy's a con artist. Skip him. Right? No. Wrong. Because there's two commandments in the Torah. Of the 613 commandments, there's two commandments regarding tzedakah. One is give according to your ability. And two is do not harden your heart and say no, if you have. A lot of people don't know that. Raise your hand if you didn't know that you're not allowed to say no. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> when, I, when I got to my 613 class, the second time, I must have like, I think I like repressed it the first time I went through the 613. But the second time I went through the 613 with Rabbi Nekomar, he, he made it all too clear that most people don't realize you have a negative commandment, thou shalt not harden your heart and say no. If you have. If you don't have, so you don't have. So that's what the half shekel is for, is that if you think the guy's a con artist, you have a 50%, you know, if you're 50% sure, that's when you drop the 10, 10 cents half shekel on him. That's when you drop your, your half shekel. Why? On the 5% chance that maybe it's real. That you don't want to be, you don't want to break the commandment of thou shalt not. Harden your heart and say no. Now, this sounds pretty rough, right? That we're not allowed to say no to tzedakah. It is pretty rough, and I think God wants it to be that way. And he's not punishing us. What he's doing is just reminding you of a very basic thing. What is that very basic thing? What's that? Your money is not yours. Your what? Your money is not yours. Okay, then your money is not yours, but not exactly that. It's a mission. It's a medrash. And it's like this. God's in charge of, charge of feeding everything in the world. He feeds the sun photosynthesis. He feeds the plants photosynthesis. He feeds the animals, the, the, the vegetations and the other animals. He, everything's getting fed. Okay? The ants are getting their food. The, the ant eater is getting his food. Everyone's getting fed, except for who? Who are, the, who are the one beings that God doesn't feed directly? Humans. Humans. And what did he do is he made sure that there are people who have and people who don't have. And that way, the people who have, this is the Medrash, by the way. The Medrash says, why did, it's the silliest Medrash, I mean, it's like, it's a little too simple. The first time I read it, I was like, you gotta be kidding. It says, why did God make it that some people have and some people don't have? What's the answer? So that the people that have give to the people that don't have. That's an actual Medrash that says those words. That's what it's for. And so, if people thought that you're allowed to say no when you have, 
So you'd be blowing one of the major points of creation. Our point of creation is to work it out. I'll give you an example right in this room. What do we got here? Uh, we got about, let's say we got about 12 people sitting here right now. Maybe 13. Okay, watch. With me, let's say it's 14. Watch what happens. There are two personality types. There are people who are more flow-oriented, creative types, and then there are people who are more structured types who like get the structure of life. Time, schedule, like... like in, um, Implement. Implementation. And, but then you get these flowy visionary types who are very creative types. Now, there's structure people and there's flow people. Flow people would love to have their summer off and let God handle their itinerary. Structure people would also like to have their summer off, but they're going to plan it with all their favorite things. They're going to put all their favorite stuff in the itinerary. And now watch what happens. Raise your hand if you're the creative flow vision type. Okay, and raise them high so we can see. Raise your hand. Everyone's voting, by the way. Raise your hand if you're more the structure type. Now, as usual, in every single class I teach this, Oh, we got Miss Balance. I know you're balanced, too. It's one in a hundred people has what she has. So you can be a manager. You can put your hands yeah. up. Are you? Yeah. That's what I always say is uh, the one in a hundred. Because think, what's the ratio of managers to workers? Probably about one in a hundred. So in life, unless you're Jewish. And the, <laughs> but in the rest of the world, it's probably one in a hundred is a manager. And managers go, they go from the flow to the structure with absolute... Fluidity. It, it all works for managing. What do you manage? I have a startup. Mm-hmm. And you're in a managing position there? Well, it's mine, so I guess I manage it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let me know if you need any intellectual property. I work for startups. I'm, I'm right now in the middle of a startup. With, where basically, what's a nice way of saying how they use my brain? Sorry, what? What's a nice way of saying how they're using my brain? They're not consulting. No, no, they are <laughs> siphoning. <laughs> They're literally siphoning. Not just mine. They took four, four major educators in the Jewish world today, and they're paying us a certain amount of money. We'll leave disclosed, and, and uh, undisclosed, and and they've been siphoning our brains now for about two months, which is crazy. But uh, sort of What sort of <laughs> And um, anyway, but did you see how the room was basically even between structure and flow? Why? Why? Because flow people get nothing done. And structure people get everything done. It's just that they don't know what to get done. Because they would like it. So they need the vision. They need the, they need the, the creativity of what we're going to be creating here. I, I, I'm happy to implement, but I got to know what, what are we creatively doing? What is it we're creating? And so God made it this way. And so God set up a negative commandment that you shall never refuse to give tzedakah, as long as you have, obviously. I bless you all to have. Amen. That you should never refuse tzedakah. Why? Because then it messes up the system. The system gets messed up. And this is why people come to my door sometimes, or all the time, and, and they're like, uh, Rabbi, I, you know, I, really, I can't take really less than a thousand shekels for, for this cause. And which may be great timing, and it may be not great timing. So, you know, this this Purim, I'm, I, I told my wife, just make sure I have 40 fifties. 40 fifties. So then when the guys come in to my party, yeah. You know, 
just hand it because we're giving out fifties on Purim because you can't mess around on, on Purim. Don't mess around. You know, dig deep. Even if you're going to owe money, you know, dig deep on Purim. I remember one of the greatest Purims. I had one of my closest students is a businessman here in Jerusalem. And I left with 10,000 shekels in my pocket, and he left with uh, 80,000 shekels in his pocket. And, you know, to give out money throughout Purim, like whoever asks, gets, you know. And so the funniest part was it was four in the morning. No more parties to go to. We were done. Like the last party kind of threw us out. And there we were on the other side of town. And we were like far from home. There's no buses. And so, so I said, okay, we'll get a cab. And, and I said, I don't have any money. And he's, he says, I don't either. <laughs> and we walked for like, like an hour. The two of us walked totally broke at the end of the night, having given out, you know, $90,000 collectively, 90,000 shekels collectively throughout the night. So pour them, you want to just like come and load it. And then when you get loaded, you'll get generous, you know, and you'll, you'll start uh, giving it all out. So my wife, though, she's, the reason I mention my wife is that she, she has to, um, what's the right word? I'm not having a ton of words today. Monitor. She's auditing. She's monitor. Monitor, yeah. She, she's she has to monitor me when it comes to this. So anytime she sees money around the house, she quickly hides it before I give it away. And that's that's the famous thing in our house is that if there's money, it will be it's going to be released into the wind. You know. And and by the way, where where does money keep winding up? Who do you think money keeps winding up next to? No, it always winds up next to me. <laughs> Because God knows that it's going to get out. I'm a clearinghouse, so he'll just make sure, you know, the, the random of stuff. She went in my wallet last Friday. She was like, what's all this money? I don't know. People keep giving me money. Like, people just give me money. And people are always giving me money without any message behind it. You know, it's just like, you know, here's, here's, here's a thousand bucks. Take this thousand. Here's two thousand. And then it just... I... And many times it never gets near my family. It just just gets out. So, um, okay, so on Purim, are you allowed to ask questions? Let's get back to Purim. I know someone had a question, but I already don't remember who. Um, on, oh, just hold on. On Purim, on Purim, are you allowed to ask any questions of the guy asking for tzedakah? Are you allowed to verify? No. no. Very good. In Purim, you're not allowed to verify. It's one of the laws of Purim. No verifying whether this guy's a worthy cause or he's a con artist. You're not allowed to verify him. Is this specifically to doctor, or is this just judgment towards anybody? Just no judgment? Nice, nice. I like the way you ask. <coughs> so you're saying the deeper aspect, which is where I was going, but I'm not quite there yet. So the answer is no verification. You're not allowed to verify, and you have to give. Anyone who sticks out... Well, you have to give anyway. We already discussed that. That's a Torah commandment. But anyone who sticks out their hand on Purim, you just give. So I walk out of my house on Purim with coins. <coughs> like, my pockets are stuffed with coins. I'm like Jesse James. Because I'm just ready to, like... And you just... you. I pray in the morning, shachris. There's a constant flow of, of tzedakah collectors 
walking by. And you're just, while you're praying, you know, I'm in my talus and my tefillin, I'm just, Just keep hand hand, and they're just flowing through to the next guy. The next one guy was waiting here. What? One guy's like, he's like, I could use the word isthmus in a sentence. This must be my lucky day. So, anyway, the the you just give and give and give. Now let's go to the deeper aspect of this one. By the way, we did this one yesterday. I touched on it a bit today about the controls and everything, and that was kind of bringing it up a notch. But uh, today we're doing these. So the um, one of the deeper aspects is that is that just like you don't ask, God doesn't ask. When you pray on Purim, Purim's a massive day of personal prayer. There's not a lot of prayer in the Matzah. I said, whose day is this? Whose day is it? Rosh Hashanah, whose day is it? New Rosh Hashanah. Now I'm switching. Rosh Hashanah, whose day? Kalal Yisrael's day. It's a holiday for Kalal Yisrael. Purim, whose day is it? It's your day. And don't forget to pray on your day. This is your day. This is your intimacy day with God. Yom Kippur is reverence, Purim is intimacy, and and it is your day to pray. And just like we give charity, we give tzedakah. By the way, why is it not called charity? You heard I just fixed it. What's charity? Charity is I'm this big guy who's given to this small guy. What's tzedakah? What's the word sodek means? Sidkut tzedakah. Yeah, so the word is really said that it means just, justice. I mean, God created justice. What is justice? What's the, what's the symbol of justice? What do they use as a symbol? Scale. The scale. And what happened is someone got more and another one got less. This guy got less. So we're going to, we're going to balance things out on poor. Judaism is a very interesting um, economic <coughs> system. It believes in balance of wealth much like, you know, maybe liberals in America or communists in, uh, in uh, communist countries, kibbutzim. We believe, in, we believe in equality of wealth and we believe in privatization of wealth. We want people to be very wealthy because we know if they're halachic Jews, if they keep Judaism, they're going to be taking care of people. See, in Judaism, we never leave it up to the government to take care of the poor. It is a personal responsibility. And you'll notice that every civilization that left it up to the... To, the government, to take care of the poor, has they all failed. They've always failed. That's why you might not feel safe in the inner cities of many cities in the world. In Israel, you feel safe no matter where you go. Because this place, we don't do inner city here. We're taking care of each other. We must have more chesed organizations than probably the world put together, just in Israel. Kindness organizations take care of. That's what we do. We take care of each other. We see ourselves. We see each other as brothers and sisters. When Rubashin got out of jail, there were they were dancing all over the planet. There were there were festivals, parades. <laughs> when at the jail in, itself, there were like busloads of people came, and he was escorted home to the tune of thousands of people. When he finally walked into the door of his house, there was a man put away for some quarter of a century, 
who was wrongly put away, a week later got out of jail. You know who came to the jail? His lawyer and his mother are the two people who came to get him out of the jail. His lawyer, well, he's not Jewish. He's not Jewish. Rabashkin's our brother. Doesn't matter if you're related to him by blood. We're all related. We're all one. And and we prove it over and over and over and over again that the Jews are all one. And we, we see each other's pain as our own. And that's why one of the reasons why we are so special as a nation. And our lack of unity was how Haman got the, got the genocide stamped by Ahasuerus. Haman said that there's an Am Mifurad and Mifuzar. Mifurad means separate and Mufuzar means scattered. Meaning he was trying to say the Jewish people aren't united. And minutes later, he gets the signet ring and stamps the genocide. And what did the nation do? The nation joined together in prayer, vigilance over this genocide attempt, and we were united over, over our, Jews generally unite over pain and fear. And uh, when there's, whenever we have war here or terrorism, we, all the Jews unite. Our differences we drop immediately. We're a family. And, and so... Um, so tzedakah, back to the tzedakah, when you don't ask any questions, what it's ultimately saying is, the word in Hebrew by our sages, kol anyone who sticks out their hand, you give them. What, what else do we stick our hands out in? in prayer, prayer. That whoever sticks out their hand, whoever is poshet yad in prayer, God doesn't look. On Purim, God doesn't say, oh, uh, what's your name? God doesn't say, oh, okay, someone pull out Naomi's file because she's, she's asking big here. She's going big. Let's see if she's deserving. Let's see if she deserves this. File's closed. Anyone who sticks out their hand, we hand them sadaka. We give them sadaka. We don't ask any questions. No file. We don't, want to, we don't even care where it's going. And the same thing on Purim, you can ask big on Purim. Don't forget to do it. In all the parties and drunkenness, don't forget to pray. For, and you can go big on Purim. And, and God's not going to open up your file. But don't forget to give everyone stuck. So make sure you get change. Uh, t- ways of getting change are um, not st- regular stores. You want to go to um, change places in general. They're the ones... We've got, uh, no, not always change places. Who has it? Oh, man. It's funny, like, I usually don't give away the secret, and now I can't remember my own secret. Probably because I didn't give it away. If I remember by the end of the week for this. Yeah, but I myself don't even know where to go now. But they, a lot of times they're like, huh? Change? Like, I thought the shook would be good. No, they're always short on shit. Um, let me just check the time. It is, anyone know what time it is? Okay. Um, I'm not going to go deep into Matonis Levnyonim, but this is uh, this is that you have to find someone destitute, and it's not so easy to find someone destitute because um, there's there you have to give to two people who are destitute. What? Destitute. What? Destitute. destitute means extremely poor. Um, you have to find two destitute people. That's not easy to do. And especially when everyone's giving them money because now they're no longer destitute. 
So you got to start early in the day while they're still destitute. And, and of course, if you find someone destitute, don't let anyone know. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Now, there are, loose trans- there are loose translations of destitute. For example, someone with 10, 11, 12 kids who's marrying off kids. He's destitute. I mean, unless he's uh, running a major company, which he, around Jerusalem he's probably not. He's probably learning and maybe he's a rabbi in a shul or something, or maybe he's a cheder rebbe. I don't know what he's doing, but, but if he's marrying off 12 kids, he's destitute. He doesn't have any money. So he's a perfect address, even if everyone gave him. That's not enough for paying for weddings. That's not enough for paying for mortgages. We have to, we have to after we marry off our kid, then we have to house them, because they're kids. We marry off our kids very young in Israel. And so now, they're, now they live near you, and you, you and the other family split the rent for the first year or two. That's a total norm? That's the norm. And then you're paying, and then you're paying, then you're, your next kid gets married. Kids are every year and a half, two years. So by the, you're still paying the rent on those apartments, and now you got another kid getting married, and you don't even run a real business. You're just a cheder rebbe, or you know whatever. Or you're a scribe. How do people do this? It's every kid's a miracle. Every kid's a miracle. I myself, you think I had an extra fifty thousand dollars lying around when I married off my daughter? I never had extra money lying around, but I owed nothing by the time the wedding was over. I owed nothing. Nor putting, I've sustained them for three years now. I've owed nothing so far. So, how I did it, everyone's got, everyone's got their own crazy story. I'm not telling you mine or how it happened with me, but everyone's got a crazy story. We live in Jerusalem. I'm sorry, in Israel. Israel has no ministering angel. It's direct drive. We have a fiber optic link to the Creator. And as long as we're committed to the land and being in our ancestral lands, we get the bracha. You get the bracha here. Now, by the way, people who are only one foot in Israel and half a foot out of Israel, don't get the bracha. We learned that from the Meraglim. Meaning Yeshua ben Nun and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Kali ben Yifunah, they had the bracha. They were coming in no matter what. They were coming in no matter what. The other ten were like, oh man, this place is crazy. And they, uh, you know, this, it's so hard. You know, that's what I always hear from Americans who are here for a couple of years. It's so hard. But they don't get the bracha. And you always see them leave. They will leave. Within a few years, they're out of here. Because they were not here. You have to come here and sign in blood. And sign in blood. We wed this land. And we pledged our souls to meet its end. That's the kind of coming in. We wed this land in marriage. And we pledged our souls to meet its end. We're going to be buried here. That's it. We're going to live here and be buried here. When you say that, you get the bracha. When you have to use outside of Israel, so your mazel's outside of Israel. So the, um, and once your mazel's outside of Israel, you got ministering angels, so it's no longer direct drive, and you're going to have to deal with whatever the ministering angel in that country is doing. You know, which, it's not going to be for the Jews, I'll tell you that much. Um, anyway, you've got to find two destitute people. Why? Let's go to the deeper meaning. Oh, we forgot to do the deeper meaning on the tzedakah. You say it again. Say what you say. Anyone remember what he said? Can you imagine? Oh, yes. No judgment on Purim in general. No judgment in general then. And uh, and then, uh, what is it about the destitute? So here's the crazy part about the destitute. He's you. 
How, how do most people have their money? Most people have their money because of terrible fear of poverty. Most people's money is just from their fear of being poor. You have to look at a poor man in the eyes. You've got to look him in the eyes. And say, I'm you, you are me, and here's... And it's a bigger amount. It has to be the amount of a festive meal. At least. Obviously, wealthier people are going to give more. But that's why I'm giving 50s, because like the minimum of a festive meal could be 50 shekels, possibly. You know, a piece of chicken, some rice, some simis, and some, uh, you know, a, a glass of wine. But that's about a meal. And that's probably about 50 shekels if it's cooked on your own. So I'm handing out 50s to these guys. And the, uh, obviously you want to hit, when I do my actual mitzvah, I'll probably do it with $100 bills. You know, I'll probably, I think I have um, $200 bills that I set aside, and that's going to go, one's going to go to one destitute person, the other one's going to go to another destitute person. But you really want to break the bank on the form. <laughs> you really want to go for it. Now, you can give to someone who will give for you. But if you're a woman, I understand why you might want to do that, just because you don't want to go searching around for destitute family uh, leaders. But, but if you're a man, don't give to like that. Find your destitute guy and look him in the eyes. And there, by the way, there are destitute women, but uh, not so easy to find. My neighborhood has a couple. If you want to come to my neighborhood, I will point to which door to go to, and you can go look her in the eyes. But she is you, and you are her. We're all... That, that's you. You're, you're, we're all... We're all in this. And our biggest fear is poverty. And it's so easy to give. It's so easy to give. You know, we gave at the office. It's so easy to give in a sanitary way. A lot of people with money like to give very sanitary. And then sit at the head table at, at, at a charity fund. At dinner. That's not Purim. Purim is we're getting in the mud with them. We're going to go in their house and... We're going to see the situation in there. We're going to look that guy in the eyes and we're going to hand it to him with all our heart. And we're going to be there with him. We're not, nothing sanitary. How long do you think it takes a homeless beggar to get a... To, how, how long do you think it takes the police to re-navigate a beggar walking across the long lawn of a Beverly Hills home? Do you think he makes it to the doorbell before he gets redirected? He may make it to that door. He's not going to make it to another door. <laughs> and he often won't make it to that doorbell. Meaning, it's there's some pretty good lawns there until you what get to the doorbell. The first fence? What? What do make it past the first fence? <laughs> but they, the cops are just like, "Can we help you? Are you invited here?" And and then next thing you know, the guy's in the back of the cop car, and he's just he's delivered a couple blocks. So, so I have a question. This kind of relates to this. Not going to bring. Is this for Goy? How how does this relate to Goy? Us in relation to and the the mitzvahs themselves have to be a Jew, and with tzedakah in general, let's say you're at the level ten percent, meaning you have to be wealthy to start giving eleven, twelve. But you're up, you're allowed to give up to twenty, but regular people give ten. You're allowed to give to a gentile, but only after you're ten. You understand? You can to do the commandment to get to ten. It's got to be to a Jew, and let's say you have some other organization that's gentile. Salvation Army is going to help. Soup kitchen, whatever. So, so then you can give more, but only after your ten. Okay, everyone, we got to Matanis Levyonim. We'll keep moving tomorrow. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.